Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're very welcome to Friday Afternoon's Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. If you've been with us all week, you know we have a great prize to give away today. Yes, we have a Husqvarna lawnmower, automower worth €5,000 thanks to Oliver Goff Sales and Higher Flower Hill Navin. And we have our daily battery strimmer prize. It's a Husqvarna as well to give to one of you. I'll give you the clues in a wee while. The weather outside, I have to say, it's a lovely day, the sun is shining, but the east wind would just skin you. I mean, it really is cool. I'm sure if you're in shelter and you're getting the sunshine, it's fine, but if you're out and about, you really will understand how cold it is. And I see the predictions for the week ahead is for the temperatures to drop back. When is uh, the uh, good, nice, warm spring weather coming into summer? I actually don't know. And I was saying to you, and I've said to you many times, since last October, the weather's been horrendous. And we're starting on that theme today because... The World Meteorological Organization has just released their latest report and it makes shocking reading really because it's confirmed, number one, that the years 2015 to 2022 were the eighth warmest since global records uh, began stretching back to 1850 and more besides. I'm delighted to say hello again. He's a regular with us. He's the Emeritus Professor from Maynooth University, one of Ireland's and internationally acclaimed climate expert and commentator, Professor John Sweeney. Hello again, John. Good afternoon, Jerry. Well, we're making a habit of this, John, you and I, but, you know, <laughs> it's a habit for a very, very important reason. I take it you've, this report is issued in the last couple of hours. Have you had a chance to have a look at it? Yeah, I had a quick look at it. Um, it's not telling us anything that we didn't really know before, but it is telling us that the last eight years have been the warmest on record on the planet um, since we had reliable records established in 1850. But, you know, if you wanted to go back further than that with some records that weren't perhaps as good as they are today, you can see that we're really on the cusp of a really hot warming episode in the planet. And in some ways, you know, that that's going to get perhaps even more problematical in the years ahead because um, the other thing that's not really mentioned in the WMO report is that we're, we're anticipating changes in the El Nino event also to happen mm. over the next 18 months. And that will compound some of the heat problems that we're seeing at the moment, I think. El Nino happens in the Pacific, and we think that, oh, well, that's way, way from us. It's not near us at all, John. But it has a profound effect on the entire planet. It does indeed. And, you know, El Nino, it, it's so-called because... Um, it's Spanish for the Christ child, and it typically happened around Christmas time uh, for the fishermen of, of Peru. And what they noticed was that their catch of anchovies suddenly was disappearing. And uh, this is the world's largest fishery, in fact, uh, off, off the Peruvian coast. And what was happening was the waters were getting warm all of a sudden. So instead of a cold water flow from below bringing up nutrients and therefore feeding the fish stocks, the warm water was capping all of that and stopping those nutrients coming up and the fish were dying. And this is all part of a a Pacific-wide change in currents. Uh, What happens really is that the, the winds, you were talking about easterly winds a minute ago, well, normally we have easterly winds along the equator from South America to Australia and that blows warm well it blows water all the way to Australia where it warms up 
and gives us the kind of tropical rainforests of northern Australia and Indonesia, the heavy rain from that unstable air over the water that has been warmed. And, of course, it's the opposite in South America. Normally we have the, the desert conditions of the Atacama and cold water flowing uh, close to the surface of Peru. But for some reason, and we're not 100% sure yet, the trade winds that blow those uh, th- th- that water across the Pacific, they die. And all of that warm water then sloshes back to the, uh, to the eastern side of the Pacific. So we have very warm water in the east, and we have cold water then being created uh, around Australia and Indonesia. And as you say, this changes the game completely across the whole, not just the Pacific, but many parts of the world, because the Pacific is, after all, half the world. Uh, So we get strange things happening. We get drought, for example, in Australia and Southeast Asia. We get failure of the Indian monsoon. We get drought in South Africa and Southeastern Africa. Uh, We get wet conditions in parts of the southern states of North America, and we get dry conditions over Amazonia. These are are really quite profound changes from the norm. And it happens roughly once every six or seven years that this uh, drastic change occurs. Um, We've been unusually blessed, if you like, in the past three years. We've had the opposite of El Nino, La Nina, um, and that's been cooling the earth because cold water, of course, over the Pacific means global temperature is, is likely not to be elevated quite so much as if the water is warm. But combined with that WMO report now and the probability that by the end of this year we'll have an El Nino established in the Pacific means that probably 2024 is going to break the records, I suspect, for global temperature once again. You know, we, if, you, if you listen closely to the, the WMO reports, they, they've been saying last year, or maybe last year was the fifth warmest year in record, the year before was something similar. You have to go back to 2016 to get the record-breaking heat on the planet. Um, and that was, of course, an El Nino year. So when the Pacific is warm uh, and an El Nino is in full flight, then global temperature obviously increases quite substantially. So I'd be worried that 2024 we're going to go from a 1.2 warming over over pre-industrial levels to begin to challenge that critical threshold of 1.5 degrees, um, which I think really we've been trying so hard globally to avoid because we know the kind of problems that tipping point is likely to bring. So in a way, it's not particularly good news that an El Nino mm. is now developing again. Um, so I think we have to watch clear, closely and redouble our efforts to try and minimise the impact of global warming uh, over the next few years by reducing our emissions drastically. And John, I take it then uh, by deduction that mankind is responsible or is El Nino uh, uh, you know, a natural phenomenon that's going to happen anyway? Are we driving this? No, it's, it's a perfectly natural phenomena. The, the first people that came to the coast of Peru, I think it was Pizarro or people like that, they noticed that it was raining in the desert. And um, this has been going on, this kind of seesaw oscillation across the Pacific has been going on for thousands and thousands of years. So it's not something that we have caused. There is a lot of, ambi- a lot of I suppose, uncertainty as to whether by warming up the ocean as we're doing now, we may increase the frequency of those events. And uh, certainly it might appear that when we make the ocean warmer, the severity of the impacts will also increase as well. But it's a natural phenomenon. Um, As yet, we're not 100% sure what causes it. Uh, We can predict it maybe a year in advance. And at the moment, we're in a kind of a neutral stage between a La Nina and an El Nino event. So we're kind of halfway. But the models are all suggesting that there will be a 62% chance that by next month to the end of the year, an El Nino event will become established in the Pacific. And uh, that's what people are sitting up and taking notice of at the moment. 
Uh, back to the uh, WMO report today. Sea levels rising, no summer snow remaining at the highest peak in Switzerland, which has never happened before. They hang on uh, there despite summertime. Drought in Europe, extreme weather events. Mankind driving this, John? Yes, undoubtedly. Um, we we're seeing the, the price of climate change reflected in an increased incidence of extremes of, of all kinds, extremes of, of heat uh, and extremes of flooding because the warmer air will hold more water. So we're going to get more in the way of heavy, intense rainfall events. And also, of course, we saw last summer when we had uh, our own record temperature of 33 degrees centigrade here in Ireland and temperatures of 40 uh, across the water in England, we saw that those kinds of previous records, which we almost took to be sacrosanct, some of them going back uh, a a century or more, uh, beginning to fall. And those kinds of extreme events are, are going to become more frequent because we're putting more energy into the atmosphere. We're very lucky in some ways because the ocean, including the Pacific, uh, has absorbed about 93% of all the extra heat humans have generated from the greenhouse effect. Um, So uh, the remaining 7% is going into the atmosphere, and that's what's giving the atmosphere that dynamic capability to cause more problems in terms of extreme events. But these are the price of climate change that... We're going to have to pay. We're going to have to adapt as best we can. But uh, at the moment, uh, we we, we have to face that that's going to be our future. And as far as sea level is concerned, sea level will now continue to rise for the next three centuries. So even no matter what we do, we have set the ball in motion on sea level and it's going to be extremely difficult to curtail it. Um, we, We should do the best we can but we have to recognise the ocean operates in a very different timescale from our industrial society and it will continue to rise and continue to give us problems in coastal areas of Ireland, for example, not just for the next few decades, but for the next few centuries. My, oh my, you know, the portents are, are not good. Be- before we finish, I always ask you this. Are we doing enough in Ireland? Are we doing enough in the world? Will this latest report from the World Meteorological Organisation make any difference? It won't change a lot of people's minds, um, unfortunately. We're not doing enough in Ireland. Um, we're continuing to increase our emissions rather than reduce them. Uh, we have a, a legal requirement to reduce them by 50% by by the next seven years. We're not on track to do that in any shape or form. We also have a carbon budget, which we have to meet for 2021 to 2025. And the omens are, at the moment, that we're nowhere near actually achieving that. It'll be a miracle, I think, if we achieve that particular value. Uh, I think it's 400 or or so million tonnes of CO2 for that five-year period. So... um, We're not doing enough. And of course, um, unfortunately, uh, we're facing a lot of very powerful vested interest groups that simply don't want to change. Uh, The short term is what matters to many people. The medium term, the term that affects their children and their grandchildren, well, they are going to be the sacrificial lambs for climate in the future. My oh my, it's a, a chilling thought indeed and uh, we can only hope that by keeping uh, on beating that drum and talking in the vein you are and lobbying etc and when we see these events practically that it might, might at long last make people sit up and wake up to what the situation is. John, love chatting to you. Thank you very much for joining me again today. You're welcome, Jerry. Take care now. That's Emeritus Professor John Sweeney there from uh, the uh, Geography Department of Newt University, one of our foremost climate experts and commentators, not just ours, but in a, a world context as well. You're with Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. Great! I love TV. We watch TV. TV themes with Jerry Kelly on the Late Lunch. Remember that TV movie we saw? TV, TV, TV. 
I love that show, I have to say. Louise, I am generally, you will verify this, not a cold person. No, no, definitely not. <laughs> Being here in the T-shirt. And, <laughs> and I'd be like seven layers of clothes <laughs> besides you. Blue. So this morning I said to Louise, God, there's, there's a brr in the month, as they say. The wind, it just shaved you, it really would. And you were saying to me, I said, oh, thank God, I thought it was me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Oh, I thought it was sicker relieved. than normal. No, 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 it is. And, you know, it is dry, thank God for it. It is sunny and that. But that east wind is a divil altogether and it's hanging in there and will for the next while as well. So uh, if you're feeling the chill, uh, we're all feeling it at the moment. But here's the other thing, Louise, I copped today. And I have a little one in the garden. It's a lovely little tree. It's only developing, so it is. Actually, we call it Ava's tree because we put it down. Uh, we put it in when she was born. Um the cherry blossom. Mm. Have you noticed them? I the cherry them. blossoms yeah. everywhere. Oh my. I planted one in the Did back you? garden roughly around the time after my dad died six years ago. Ah. It's really taken off now. Good on mm. you. Good on Bab. you. There are some wonderful examples, you know, of really mature ones yeah. and they're absolutely loaded with the pink flowers at the moment. The only thing, you the see... The white are nice too. The white is gorgeous. Yeah. The white, the, the pink probably dominates, but they are. The blossom is just beautiful. But here's gorgeous. the thing. You see that beast from the east mm. <laughs> that continues to blow much. You know what happens? Oh, um, it just blows all the blossom it. away. It doesn't last. That's the thing about yeah. the cherry blossom. It's a brief bloom and then it's gone. But for that time that it's there, I just think they're Stunning. the most beautiful trees. Yeah. Anyone out there with a cherry blossom or a, a substantial one in, in, in your garden of that, if you feel like it or you want to dodge the east wind for our behalf, you might take an old picture of it and WhatsApp it into us on 086-1800-658. We love, love, love the cherry blossom and it is their brief season at this point in time. Did you know that it's record store day tomorrow? Yeah. It's it we always record store day. Actually, I was, I was just thinking. <laughs> we don't do that recently, no. Are you reading my mind? <laughs> and because I was just thinking the very same thing. Have you, are you open in February there on your diary or something, no? No, no, it is tomorrow. <laughs> I genuinely tell you. And we're normally chatting about it on the show, but we were talking recently yeah. to our man in the record store in Dundalk is, is right. But just to say to people that it is record store day tomorrow and there are many special releases being released for the day. Now, unless Unless it's it's definitely in the UK, sure, it's all over the world. It has to be, isn't it? It's, it's world record store day. I think it is anyway. Unless it's, it's not making a record, like it's not a record breaking day. It's an actual no. Record day. It's world record store day no. tomorrow, I believe. Record store day tomorrow. So if you're out and about, pop into your local record store and uh, support them because there's very few of them about, as you know, at this stage with downloads and all else besides. But I I got the feeling as well. Yeah, they are. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think them, especially on the vinyl front, mm. they're certainly making a comeback. Very, very true. Ah, Friday on late lunch. We always have an old laugh, don't we? And today is no exception because uh, we bring you this afternoon a wonderful, wonderful comedian. Her name is Sindhu V and she's talking about the way they parent in India compared to the way we parent in this neck of the woods. Let's have our comedy on Friday. Knock, knock. Who's there? That's how it works. It's called... Comedy? Comedy. Comedy, comedy. Comedy, sir. Comedy. Comedy. Classic comedy. Classic comedy. On the late lunch. I love comedy. And you know what people say? Small kids, small problems. Big kids, bigger problems. And the reason is that as your kids get older, you have to discipline them properly. And I find this very stressful because I'm born and raised in India. So what I consider robust, healthy, high-quality parental discipline (laughs) is frowned upon in this part of the world. That's not true. It's illegal. I know because I have checked. And I want to have really well-behaved kids, but that is no use to me if I am in jail. So I have to learn what you guys do here. And the big thing here is teach your kids about action and consequence using a multitude of techniques. So you have something called star chart. You know what star chart is? Yeah, no, let me tell you, sir. Star chart is you find something vaguely not negative that your child possibly might be able to do and then work it into the conversation and give them a star. Thank you for not kicking me in the face today. Here's a star. And then the other one, action and consequence, naughty step. 
You've been terribly behaved. Kindly go relax on the staircase. <laughs> and I was like, I cannot get on board with this. So what do we have from my culture that I can somehow glom onto this so it makes sense to me? And then I thought, of course, our parents talk to us about action and consequence, but the way they do it is they implicate us from the time we're very young in their death. <laughs> and they use this as a way to guide our behavior. Um, let me give you an example. Let me find someone who... Sir, what is your name? John. John, can I use your name for this? Okay, so John, imagine you're four years old and your mother will say to you, John! I told you to put one spoon of chocolate in the milk. Why have you put two? Because you want me to die. <laughs> Very effective with small children, you know. <laughs> Focuses them. Uh, and it was working so well for me with my firstborn until when he was about seven, I got a phone call from his school. And the teacher said, could you and your husband please come in? Your son has some very specific anxieties. <laughs> So I went, I went. I didn't take my husband. My husband is Danish. Which is to say there is zero overlap in our parenting techniques. Yeah, Danes. My husband's entire parenting repertoire is, darling, please be very, very, very happy. Here is some Lego. So I went, and the teacher said, we don't understand, he's a great boy, great kid, but every time we give him back homework and he hasn't got full marks, he says, I don't want to go home, I think my mother might be dead. <laughs> and on the inside, I was like, yes, what a good boy, he's been listening, my son. But on the outside, I was like, what? <gasps> no, oh, I'm so sorry, I can't imagine. Well, what can I say? Danes are very bleak. <laughs> <laughs> the wonderful Sindhu V. Yes, parenting indeed. Oh, there's a big, big birthday happening today in Kells. There is indeed. Dara Sheridan, happy birthday. Little Dara's five today. Oh, the celebrations are only about to kick off there in and around Hedford Farm. Yes, there's a unicorn bouncy castle, I believe, on the way. It's on its way, Dara. It'll be there shortly. Have a great birthday with all your friends. That comes in from Mum and Dad, your brother and sister, and everybody in the family. Dara Sheridan's five. Ah, simply wonderful. His Irish roots, though, Joe Biden, how did that come about, his Irish ancestry? How did he find out? When did it all begin? Well, we're going to hear how now, because Fiona Fitzsimons is Research Director with the Irish Family History Centre, and she's the woman who did the work. Hello, Fiona. Hi, Jerry. Nice to be on. Ah, it's great to have you on with us. And, and before we begin, you have a local link, haven't you? I do. My my mother, Aileen O'Connor, grew up in Castle Bellingham, County Louth. Oh. Um, her dad, my granddad, was the local sergeant there. And um, so we always spent summers there. Uh, all the family used to come back from Dublin, from Limerick, from Canada, and meet there during the summer. Fantastic. So there you are. You're back home on uh, your regional radio station this afternoon. We'll say that anyway. Well, listen, step back here uh, with Joe Biden. How did this all come about? Gosh, well, back in 2016, uh, we got a phone call asking if we could accept a research commission um, from the American Embassy. Now, we made an appointment to visit them, and we were asked to research then-Vice President Biden's family history ahead of a visit by the extended Biden family to Ireland. Now, at the time, we weren't given an exact date. We were told we had maybe eight to ten weeks, and we were asked not to discuss the research with anyone. So it was very... Um, keeping it all under wraps. And you did that. You didn't say a thing. And he arrived on that visit in 2016. It was back in 2020 and, of course, again this time. Had you it all done for that first visit? We had the greater part of it done. We had the last 
and part of the Mayo. Um, the family that he would have known most were the um, the Finnegans in uh, the Finnegans from County Louth, mm. um, and also the Blewitts in Mayo. And the reason for that is that his mother, her maiden name was Finnegan. She was Jean Catherine Eugenia Finnegan. Um, and the Blewitts, likewise, were um, a fairly close family connection. Um, I think his mother's mother, so his maternal grandmother, was mm. a Blewett. So these were the, the, the families that he probably had most immediate connection with. But he didn't know the history of when those families actually up sticks and left Ireland and went to the States or anything like that. And then were you just given those names? I'm curious. And, and then off you go. Was that it? Did you, did you go to Loud? Did you go to Mayo and the records there? Not quite. We were given something which I thought was actually quite unusual. Well, it's unusual to somebody in Ireland because in Ireland we have all our family around us. We have cousins. We meet at family events, mm. christenings and funerals and weddings. Um, and so it's only recently that Irish people have begun doing their family histories. But what Joe Biden gave to us at the outset, myself and Helen Moss, my colleague from the Family History Centre, was he gave us a short account, family histories written down in the 1920s by the grandson of the immigrant ancestors. These were stories which they had heard from their grandfather. Mm. And there were stories about how the Blewetts um, arrived in Scranton, Pennsylvania. And you see, that's not all that unusual for an Irish-American, or for that matter, a German-American, that people have their stories about who we are and how we came to the country. Mm. So they were, um, they were told, and then somebody wrote words down, you know, to, to record this. And it, it was as rudimental or as fundamental as that, or basic. It was very basic. They said, for example, that the family were surveyors, but we weren't sure what did that mean. A surveyor could be somebody working um, on a private landed estate. It could be somebody working for the council. Um, we actually found in that instance that the surveyors actually were civilian assistants working for the Ordnance Survey. Mm. So you get that basic stuff and away you go. Was it difficult this side? Because obviously famine times when these people left Ireland on, on both accounts, was it both in Louth and Mayo? In Louth and Mayo, yes, it was very, very difficult. And it was difficult because the families we were looking at were um, often quite marginal. You know, this whole persona mm. of Blue Collar Joe is actually very, very true. That's his roots. That's the family. That's who they are. Um, and when you're looking at people who don't have many assets or don't have land, they don't leave much of a paper trail. Certainly from 170 years ago, they don't leave much of a paper trail. So it was a matter of a limited number of sources and yet combing through the sources, particularly with Finnegan and County Louth, because if you go onto the Cooley Peninsula throw a stone and you're going to hit a Finnegan. <laughs> throw a second stone and you're going to hit a Carney. And that's the other big family name that they were from, they yeah. had. Yeah, isn't it interesting uh, that you say your status in life, you know, uh, means how much there remains of your memory. But look, you did real good yourself and your colleague and you, you, you put it together. And um, then you go, that's the on the Irish side, then you head for the States. Was it easier there to, or was that in place, the family tree in the United States? No. Well, it was necessary to do that. We call this reverse genealogy. There's often more documents surviving in the host country where the immigrant arrives. Okay. And by looking at things like death records, in America, death records will give you the name of the deceased person's mother, the mother's maiden name and the father's name, where they were known by the informant. Um, and by doing things like that, by doing a reverse genealogy, it meant that we were able to find more about precisely which Finnegans and which Blewetts, and subsequently which of the other branches of the family, who we were looking for. Because there's some very, very common names there. Uh, Boyle would be another one. Hanafy, they turned out to be from Galway. Uh, Stanton and Arthur's. Um, and Scanlon, all Mayo names. 
Right, so um, an intriguing web and network of people. So you work away and you produce this for the then Vice President. Can you remember, were you there when, I take it you were, when you presented it to him and he saw this mapped out and I'm looking at a copy of it here in front of me for the first time. Yes, we gave, it, we gave the presentation, uh, Helen Moss and myself, we gave the presentation to Joe Biden, uh, to his brother and sister, Val, who's also his campaign manager, by the way, and she accompanies him everywhere. She was with him on the recent visit. Mm. His brother, Jim, um, and all the grandchildren. Uh, they were all there, a big extended group of family. And they were all delighted. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. It's fantastic to see that, that level of enthusiasm. Um, just real interest, loads of questions. Um, so a fantastic response, the kind of response that you hope for. Mm, and, you know, you're actually seeing on paper who you are, where you came from, who was here before you. Remarkable. And, and no wonder now when you tell it like that and what it meant to them, it is no wonder he delivered on his promise to come back as president and visit uh, both Louth and Mayor where his relatives came from. Um, did he ever say anything personally to you? You know, say, thank you so much. What was he like? Was he very grateful to you? He was very grateful for it. Yeah, he said... He said... Um, he told me the reason for the visit. The reason for the visit was that... Um, with his mother, Jean Finnegan... Jean Biden, I should call her... Mm. Um, when she died in 2010... He said that his son, Bo tried to cheer up, tried to cheer him up and said, Dad, we'll take the entire family back to Ireland and we'll have a fantastic visit. We'll visit all the places where the family are from. And he said, you know, my son got sick then and he got sick so fast that we never were able to do that as a family. Mm. So that trip to Ireland in 2016 meant the world to them. Yeah. Because that trip was, in a sense, it was a real leave-taking of Jean, his mother, and also of Beau, his son, but also a chance to bring the entire family together. My oh my, it's such an interesting backstory following his visit here. I have to say that to you, it's intriguing. And and Joe Biden is one, but you've been involved with other great people and powerful people, haven't you? We have, yeah. <laughs> you have. Another American president. Um, President and Mrs. Michelle Obama Mm. um, and their children. I was asked particularly to give a presentation to the two Obama girls. They were teenagers at the time. Um, And I was asked to give a presentation on family history without screens or slides. Um, And that's very relatable because um, Mrs. Obama, (laughs) I think like the mother of any teenagers, wanted to get her kids away from screens. Mm. But she also wanted them to really engage with their dad's roots. And that was in Trinity College because there was a very strong Trinity connection through the, um, in the Obama family. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my, oh, my. We could go on and on. Time's just beating me today. Fiona, I'll be back to you. I promise. Uh, thank you so much Thanks, for talking Jerry. to us today. I really do appreciate it. It's lovely talking to you. Thank you very much for asking me on. Not at all. Take care of yourself. Fiona Fitzsimons there, Research Director with the Irish Family History Centre. Intriguing indeed. Spotted my next guest recently in the Irish Times talking about an interesting subject, standing up for yourself. You know, I remember my mother used to say, the quiet way is the best way. But, you know, at times the quiet way is not the way at all. So this intrigued me. And as a result, my next guest is with me on Late Lunch today. She's the co-founder of Prism Therapy Online, Louise Carroll. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Derry. How are you? I'm really good. And I so enjoyed what you had to say because, (laughs) you know, I think most people, maybe I'm wrong here. Tell me if I'm wrong. An awful lot of people avoid conflict. A lot 
lot of people do. Um, I'm not sure if it's most, but definitely I, I think there's, I always think it might be something to do with our culture. You know, it, we put our best face forward and behind the scenes we feel slighted and it, sometimes even enraged. So we don't necessarily have a healthy, a natural healthy, healthy tendency to express anger in, in, in the right way as opposed to a, in a furious explosive way it's either not at all or it's explosive so i think sometimes we can struggle in 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 our culture to find that middle ground where we express it in a healthy way how do you not explode because generally when something happens you get mad as hell louise you know what i mean and you lose the run of yourself and you say things and do things that you you nearly just fly off the handle how do you not do that please tell us It's it's got everything to do with emotional regulation. And this applies to every aspect of your life. You know, when we get, uh, I try and avoid using those words, it's overused, but when we get triggered by a situation, um, a situation that plays into maybe how we feel about ourselves, right? So because if somebody disrespects us in a moment, that can play right into our own personal feelings of inadequacy. And then we see somebody else treating us in a negative or less than respectful way and we we are bang, we're in emotional dysregulation. And depending on what our past experiences are, that emotional dysregulation can lead us into a fighting type of situation or into a freeze type of situation, which I'm sure you've heard of. And if it's a freeze situation, then we pull back, we become mute. We don't say anything at all. We brush it away. We, we say it's fine and we go home and we are furious. Right? <laughs> and we, we coming up with all types of fantasies about what we should have done, you know, for the next few days and, and actually playing out the conversations in our heads. That's what we sometimes have a tendency to do. You know, you're so on the money because it's happened to me so many times. I should have said this. I should have done that. And you're nearly worse for not, you know what I mean, yeah. uh, making the point that you're not happy. Yes, exactly. But but the struggle, Jerry, is it's actually it's that middle ground because if you can't regulate regulate yourself in the moment, then you're not going to be you're literally not going to be able to access your prefrontal cortex, the front of your brain, that helps you to reason, that helps you to problem solve. So if you're, if you're completely explosive and you're in your limbic system, your emotional center, then you're not actually you actually lose IQ points in those moments. So the key is actually practicing how to regulate your emotions in times of stress and when you do that you're much more able to problem solve and to think about what you want to say in a moment and i take it it will have a greater what you'd hope it would have a greater effect on the transgressor in that you maintain your poise Mm -hmm. you're cool calm and collected Mm-hmm. absolutely actually it can it can sometimes derail the aggressor because it's not what they expect you know, and if, if they make a habit of transgressing like that, they might be used to people flying off the handle. And so it's, it's you make a judgment and it's quite an unconscious judgment in a moment when somebody becomes dysregulated that they don't have themselves together, that they don't have it together, that they, they're not able to solve problems properly. And in actual fact, other people will react to that. So if they're now faced with somebody who stays grounded, who maintains eye contact, who doesn't lose it, who still remains or holds up their values, maybe, of even being compassionate and empathic in a moment, that can actually be really surprising to somebody who's used to getting away with things. Um, So, yeah, it's definitely worth trying that. But again, it all begins with being able to regulate yourself. Can you practice this? <laughs> can you, you know, is this something, can you learn this? You know, if, if, if you're one of, like me and you jump at things and, and don't hold back, can you change? You can, um, but it, 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 it's about really getting familiar with your body, which sounds kind of unusual. But if you start to acknowledge what's happening in your body when you get aggravated, when you get worked up, when you see something, when you're in conflict, okay, typically right, your heart's going to start beating a bit more. You're going to get flushed. You know, there's all these feelings of being affronted, you know, and, and maybe undermined coming. Mm. And so you're going to do one of two things you're going to one maybe overcompensate for that so you're going to blow yourself up in order to protect your ego so you become bigger in your mind you become the aggressor actually in your mind and that can lead to you in turn being aggressive rather than assertive and so what you're trying to do instead is stay connected and a lot of this is meditation honestly it's it's being learning how to regulate your breath in the face of conflict so if you're used to something winding you up 
see if you can connect to your body. See if you can connect to your breath, to your belly, exhales, make them longer. If you, if you take one thing away from it, make your exhales longer in times of stress and conflict because that's going to keep you connected. Your nervous system is more regulated and you'll be able to think more. So yes, you can practice it, but it begins with regulating yourself. Well, that is good news to hear that for sure. The other thing is emotional. You know, emotionally people become wrecks and lose it as well. And uh, it just, you know what I mean, lose all sense of reason and that as well. But the emotion creeping into it is is the sort of the, the next part of it, isn't it? When people feel like that. Well, that's it. And again, it's, it's everything... It, the way we react in any given moment is as a result of everything that we've been through up until now. Mm. It's as a result of the belief that we have about ourselves, the belief that we have about other people and how they view us and how the world treats us and how we see that. And we look at everything through that lens. And so depending on how negative that is or positive that is, that's going to colour our response as well. So being a, a huge part of it is also being aware of what your push points are. You know, what are, your, what are your pain points? In what ways are you feeling insecure? And now has that person just stomped on that? You know, and now you feel, again, that you have to inflate yourself in order to cope with that, rather than actually just meet it in the moment and say, actually, whatever you're doing really has no bearing on me in this moment. I get to choose. I get to choose what happens next. I take it no one will jump the queue at you or steal a parking <laughs> spot or, you know, things like that. Well, they will, but but again, <laughs> what I would do, <laughs> I choose my battles. You know, I, I really yes. do, and and I, there's there's also a beauty in letting things go and understanding that it's not about you. One of my biggest mantras is don't take things so personally. Mm. That these things are, are not about us most of the time. Mm. I would say absolutely most of the time, these things are not about us. It's about that person and where they're at, and conserve your energy. Use it. And use your voice in a moment where you feel like it has really resonated or something's really struck with you, then use your voice. Because going home and not using your voice is a thing that will taunt you and haunt you for the coming days. But but choose your battles. Not everything has to be a fight or or negotiated. Use your judgment. Um, yeah, I, I think that's a, that's a better way to do it. <laughs> and I think there's a lot of lessons here in Ireland and in life in the past where people were meek. You know what I mean? And it was nearly you know, bet into you to say, you know what I mean, you don't speak up, you don't mm. say, and look at the price we've paid in horrific ways across society. Do you think we're getting better at this? Do you think the younger generation are better at standing up for themselves or is there still a job of work to be done there? This is an interesting one, Derry, um, because I, I think you're right, first of all, it was, you know, also it was, what was it, what was the phrase? be seen, don't be heard. Yes, 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 like that? yes, be yeah. seen but not heard, yeah. Yeah, that's it. So, so you know, shut up essentially. Um, and if you have a problem, keep it to yourself. So something I mentioned earlier on is, is when we're in situations, we might surrender to that, we might surrender to the societal expectation or we overcompensate for it. And the overcompensation looks for nobody is going to silence me. I'm going to vocalise every single thought that I have and I'm going to push back against everything that I feel is a slight. So what we're also seeing is not only people speaking up in a good way, and an assertive way, but sometimes we're also seeing it in an explosive overcompensatory way, where it's everything needs to be vocalised and every opinion needs to be vocalised without actual connection to sometimes the truth of what's happening or intention or conscientiousness about the other person where they're at so it's a balance Jerry I feel uh, you know and often this happens when, when something has been silenced for such a long period of time we, the pendulum can swing drastically in the other direction so it's about coming into the middle so we get that really grounded sense of self whilst also tackling what we believe is, is right or true for us Pick your battles take the breath be calm, be cool. You're listening today. You're hearing what Louise has to say and you will stand your ground and be the better for it. You're so interesting. I thank you so much for joining me today on the show. Oh, thank you, Barry. Thanks for having me. Not at all. Take care of yourself. That's Louise Carroll there, co-founder of Prism Therapy Online. You can check them out. They're wonderful. Prism Therapy Online. Late lunch, LMFM radio. We're getting very close now. We are indeed. Paul Young. That's Paul Young's pension song, by the way. Every time you go away from Mr. Paul Young, 
on your late lunch this Friday afternoon. Well, we're nearly there. Oliver Goff celebrating 60 years in business. Give them a shout at Flower Hill in Navin. Sales and hire there. They have everything that you need and they're in a generous mood with the birthday celebrations going on. We've had a strimmer, a battery kit worth €289 Euro to give away each day. And we now have the Husqvarna Automore. It's the 450X model. It's worth €5,000. So the weed today, the clues. Number one, it's a weed loaded with vitamins from which you can make soup or a delicious pesto. The second clue was edible it is, but in its raw state, there's a sting in its tail, leaves and stem. And urtica dioxica. I think I have it right there. Well, you know them pronunciations. I'm near enough anyway. It's the uh, botanical name for a... Nettle, a nettle, a nettle, a nettle I was looking for today. Thank you so much to everybody. We're in undaunted with entries. You're so good. Anyway, we've weared the wheel and let you know that the streamer winner today is Anne Lawler. Well done to you, Anne. The streamer is yours. And going into the hat right now to win that €5,000 Husqvarna Automore is Harry McCarthy. Harry, you're in the hat now as well. So, in the hat now, when I move all these little wrapped up numbers around here, number one is Keith O'Donovan, number two is Kia Rooney, three is Georgina Hussey, four, Jerry McGee, and number five in today is Harry McCarthy. Let me go, close my eyes, move them around. You know when you're doing the draw for the FA Cup or whatever on television, I'm doing the same here. Anyway, let me pick out one little piece of paper here and I'll see what number is on it I'll see what number is on it and I will give it to Louise the number and she has the name and the person and the phone number that corresponds to the number and the number is number three number three will you ring number three there Louise for me please number three has won the Husqvarna Automore 450x and it's worth 5,000 euro. Let's see. Do we get an answer from number three? (laughs) Is it ringing? Is it ringing? Number three. We're just waiting for the phone to ring and let's hope we get an answer. I can tell you already who it is, but I'd rather just talk to her off the cuff. Anyway, I've drawn out number three. Here we go. It is ringing, I believe. It is indeed. Yes. Let's see. Do I get an answer? Maybe, maybe not. You never know. Hello. Georgina. Hi. Is that Georgina Hussey? It is. <laughs> Do you know who this is? Uh, you sound different on the phone. But <laughs> <I don't> know. <laughs> Do I really talk to you like this? How are you? You know where you are, don't you? You're on to late yeah. lunch. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Anyway... Uh, you do realise you were the name that went forward into the draw on Wednesday, Georgina? Yeah, very good. Well, you have won the Husqvarna Automore. It's worth €5,000. Wow! It's God, yours. God, it's God, yours God, today. God, <laughs> have you, well, I, suppose, I suppose this is a stupid question, but have you grass to cut? I have grass. There's, there's grass. Lovely. Great. Well, that's good to hear anyway. And uh, your grass is going to look immaculate from here on in. Thanks to Oliver Goff, Sales and Hire, Flower Hill Navin, celebrating their 60th birthday. Delighted for you. Health aware. Enjoy your win. Cheers. Thanks. Bye. Where are you? By the way, where are you today? I'm a Termfeckin. Oh, oh Termfeckin, right. Good woman yourself. There's great grass in Termfeckin. There you are, despite the east wind that's blowing today. Bye. Well done, Georgina. Congratulations. Bye. Take care of yourself. Bye bye, Georgina Hussey. Hard luck to everybody else, but you're in there with a one in five chance. Georgina's name came out today. song. I love the programme. Love Fiona Bruce presenting it. Yes, Antiques Roadshow. Uh, uh, unmissable. I watch it every Sunday evening when I'm around. If I'm not around, I tape it. I record it. Yes, and watch it at another time as well. And thanks to everybody who got it right. You were very good today. Loads of you. Anyway, are we prize from late lunch this Friday? goes to Cat Skelly. Well done to you. We'll be in touch to make the arrangements. Time to do this on late lunch this Friday. Five, four, three, two, one. Counting down the top five songs from this week of yesteryear. 
And today it's their number one from this very week in 1991. And this song, well, we uh, love it on late lunch, I have to say. And when I saw it was number one and this week was even more thrilled, it was written by Nick Kershaw. And the song was featured in the 1991 film Buddy Song. It spent five weeks at number one. And delighted to say we had a lovely chat with him here on late lunch in the past the recent past I have to say as well yes the number one from this week 1991 it is the man himself Chesney Hawks and the one and only Number one from this week in 1991, Chesney Hawks and the one and only on your late lunch. And we'll bring you a brand new top five countdown next week on the show. Up next on late lunch, the one and only David Sheehan. Let's round the uh, week of shows off as usual with a look ahead to the weekend sporting action. David Sheehan joins me again. Hi, David. Hi, Jerry. Thank you for being with us this Friday afternoon. Let's look at soccer first and across the water because tonight... The Butlers are playing Southampton. Yeah, Arsenal Southampton. Um, I've been having this conversation with a few people recently, and I, I, I do think Arsenal could not win the league without it being the bottle job. I think uh, Manchester City are just so good at, at the moment. But uh, you know, draw, losing the two in a lead twice in a row, whatever about it, Anfield. You know, you could say that that sometimes happens, particularly there. But against West Ham last week was um, was not great for them at all, having been 2 up so early in the game, missing a penalty and then falling apart a little bit towards the end. So Southampton at home tonight like look like they're all but gone, Southampton. So Arsenal, I mean, it goes without saying they, they should be winning that one. And it'd be nice to see them winning it with a little bit of swagger and maybe putting a few goals past Southampton. I mean, we'd probably both take a 1-0 win here, but they need, to, they need to re-establish a little bit of control and a little bit of form here and show that the little kind of blip in the last couple of weeks... Uh, isn't going to be something that's going to continue on. Like I still, I still think hand on heart that City will be be too good and will win mm. probably most of the rest of their games. But I think like Arsenal are going to probably finish second at worst. But they they really don't want to. If they're not going to win the league, they really don't want to just fall away completely and finish the season on a whit with a whimper. They'll want to come on strong for the last few games. And if they come up short, so be it. But they they don't really want any more kind of slip-ups like they've had in the last couple of weeks where they get into good positions and then throw it away because we've seen that so many times in the years, particularly in the latter years of the Wenger era. So Arsenal to win tonight? Yes. And set up the game next Wednesday nicely against City at the Etihad Stadium. That is next Wednesday evening. Just in the world, the two Cup semi-finals. Man City are out again on Saturday against Sheffield United. No-brainer. Should the B team, it'll beat Sheffield United. Yeah, City should win that one. Uh, absolutely, yeah. I think they'll win it comfortably as well. More interesting is the Sunday game. Man United, oh my word, they were shocking last night. They're up against a Brighton side with their tails up. This won't be easy for United. No, I think Brighton are going to win this one. Um, I think Evan Ferguson's going to miss it, which is a bit of a shame. I was just looking at that earlier in the week. We know he got injured last week, but um, it doesn't seem like he's going to be back. But, like... I haven't looked at the betting, but you'd have to make Brighton favourites on, on the current form, really, you know. Um, I know United are a little bit higher on the table than them, but they've been in such good form at the minute. They played a poor Chelsea team, admittedly, last weekend off the pitch. United were a bit of a rabble last night. Um, so I'm going to I'm gonna give the nod to Brighton to win that one and set up what would be a very novel final. I'm sure maybe Manchester United fans listening in would rather lose a semi-final to Brighton than lose a final <laughs> to City. But um, I think, uh, yeah, I think, I think, I'm going to give Brighton the, the nod to win that one and, uh, and advance to the final. OK, let's bring it all back home this evening. Uh, both uh, Premier Division League of Ireland clubs from County Loud in action. Drogheda are at home to the league leaders, Bohemians. Yeah, Bohemians, uh, four points clear. Lost uh, last weekend against St. Pat's. Again, Pat's who were on their uppers a few weeks ago now are, are in second place. So it's uh, it's really turned around. It's early stages in the season, of course. So teams can move up and down the table quite quickly. But... Yeah, Bohemians coming to Weavers Park. John, I don't have a great record against them of late. I think they've only won once at home against Bohemians since they've been promoted. And then they won last year as way away from home, which was the game that sort of secured their, their, their place in the Premier Division for this season. But both going well. Again, I think, like I said to you last week, Jerry, I thought Drogheda would go down to Sligo and get something. They did. Mm. They would have maybe been disappointed not to come away with a win. I think Kevin was a little bit disappointed with the manner of the goal they conceded. But, you know, anytime you go away in the League of Ireland to, to any place, really, but the exception probably of Belfield, I suppose. Good result for Drogheda last week away. And, like they're always tough opponents. Bohemians will be will be strong, but they they've you know they had a poor result last weekend. 
Um, I suppose the smart money would be on Bohemians to, to get the win there, but I think Drogheda will make it difficult for him. It's always tricky on that pitch. It's a tight one. Um, so I'm going to I'm gonna give Drogheda a shout of getting a point out of that one and, uh, and put the brakes on Bohemians' title charge for the time being. Dundalk are in Dublin. They play Shelbourne. Got a point last week. Uh, played well in the second half against Derry. How do you see this one going? Yeah, Shelburne, um, funny one really. Like they, they've only scored eight goals, which is the same as Drogheda actually, and, and only UCD have scored fewer goals than them. But they've only conceded seven, so they're not really uh, doing much at either end of the ta- at either end of the field. But they're going to be tricky enough opponents. Dundalk had a good draw against Derry last week, had arrested a bad run of form, um, you know. So I think they they would have been disappointed maybe to concede a late equaliser. They scored twice in the space of a minute, but. I'm going to put a, a, an exact scoreline on this one, Jerry. I'm going to predict a very dull nil-nil draw here at Talking Park in that one. <laughs> I just think it's going to be very tight. Neither side will want to give much away. Shelburne are really hard to break down and they don't score much, as I said. So I think nil-nil could be the smart bet for that one. And both games online this evening, lmfm.ie. Now, quickly to GAA. Big day on Sunday. Leinster Championship. Both Louth and Meath are out on Sunday afternoon. First up at 2 o'clock, Westmeath and Louth. Louth favourites here. Yeah, they are favourites, and I mean, Loud fans won't need reminding that the favourites tag doesn't doesn't often sit comfortably on their shoulders. So, yeah, I mean, they had a, such a great league. We all know that. Um, Westmead just missed out on promotion from Division Three, but they did okay themselves. But they're they're always a tough opponent, Westmead, and I think even though Loud had such a great campaign in the league and just missed out on promotion themselves to Division One, which would have been brilliant, uh, I don't think there's going to be a huge amount in this one, uh, as you said, Loud favourites. Interesting from looking at the team sheets that were submitted to Croke Park. Sam Mulroy is listed at number 11. Now, whether he will start or not, I would doubt. It's hard to say. But um, he's certainly in the 26. And that's going to be a big a big plus for Loud. And the interesting thing about it was a lot of people would have predicted before the league campaign started that if Loud had missed Sam Mulroy for a lot of the campaign that they'd have no chance of even staying up. But they did so well without him. So maybe that injury to him was a little bit of a, a blessing in disguise because they showed other lads were well capable of stepping up. So I think this is going to be a really really good game it's going to be in Park Talton there'll be a big crowd there Loud it's a second home for them really I know they probably would have played, preferred to have had this game in RD but they can't so Park Talton the ground they're very familiar with they've had some good results in there over the years I think they will come through but I think it's going to be a really really tight game and I think Loud will nick it by a couple of points Tullamore is the venue for Offaly Mead what about this one? Yeah, this is a really tricky one for me. It's down in Tullamore on Offaly's home turf. We know all the emotion attached to the Offaly footballers after the, the really sudden and shocking passing of Liam Kearns a couple of months ago. Uh, Meath had a really poor league campaign. Uh, they scraped by Offaly in 2019 in Navin in the Championship. I know it's a few years ago, but Offaly have been sticky enough opponents for Meath over the years. They themselves, Offaly, had a reasonable enough league campaign. They... they um, they played, what, seven games, won four, lost three. So they weren't a million miles away from promotion themselves. The worry I'd have with this Mead team is if it's tight in the second half, do they have the team spirit and the, the, the togetherness to pull through? You know, the, the league campaign was really disappointing. The results were one thing, but there just didn't seem to be a huge amount of togetherness there. And again, look, I'm saying this from the outside looking. I have no idea what's going on in the Mead dressing room or on the training ground. I'm sure they are as tight a bunch as, as any other county, but... I just would cons- would be concerned. There's a few new faces in there as well. Um, so, yeah, I think this is going to be a really difficult game for me. Colin O'Rourke, I think the players owe him a big performance. They were, they were disappointing throughout the league. And, look, you can point to managers and everything else all you want. But at the end of the day, the 15 lads going out onto the pitch. And there's an awful lot of talent in that Meath team. And I think it's time that they showed it. Hopefully they will on Sunday. But I, I think it's going to be a really, a really tight game. And... Um, Give me the very hesitant nod, but I think Offaly are going to make it very difficult for them. Okay, and just before we finish, in a minute, uh, the hurling go- continues this weekend. And Saturday, Loud take on Ross Common and the Nicky Rackard. Yeah, they really need to win that one. Really, really disappointing performance from Loud last week against Wicklow. We were covering the game ourselves, and it was it was really like all over nearly after ten minutes down in Ockram. So uh, you know, Ross Common lost themselves last weekend as well. So I think. You know, Loud need to bounce back in that one. It's gonna, it's gonna be tough after last week's beating. I'd say that the, the morale is pretty low. Um, so look, let's hope Loud can get the win there. But you'd probably have to fancy Ross Common in that one. And then on Sunday, one o'clock, throw-in time in Rieslip in London. Uh, London against Mead in the Christie Ring. Yeah, good win for Mead last week. Albeit a lot tighter than people might have expected against Mayo. Um, but I think. You know, I think that uh, they, they needed to win that first game and get it off the mark. And then they've London now away. They beat them in the last round of the league and that was a kind of a scratch team they had out. But yeah, I think I think Mead will come through that one. But again, I'd, I'd say it'll be pretty tight. Um, but I think Mead will just edge it by maybe three or four points in the end. David, thanks a million. Talk to you next week.
Thank you, Jerry. Take care and join uh, David for Sunday Sport with all those big games on Sunday afternoon and the League of Ireland. Remember this evening, draw the bows, shells and dock on lmfm.ie. That's it on Late Lunch for another week. Big thank you to all our guests during the week for joining us, to you, our listeners who are with us every day. We love your company and a big thank you from me to my producer, Louise Walsh. I couldn't do this without her. Thanks a million, Louise. Eddie Caffrey's coming next with The Drive here on LMFM Radio. See you Monday, half one. Have a lovely weekend. Take care of yourselves. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Drogheda, Dundalk and Cal.